Hi, I'm Simon Drew, and welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast, where I dive deep into the ancient philosophy of Stoicism. If you find value in this podcast, then you can become a patron by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. Otherwise, you can head to simonjedrew.com to find my writings, my music, and also information about my one-on-one coaching. But apart from that, I hope you enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Practical Stoic Podcast. Now today we have quite a treat, uh, because as you'll know, I've been doing this series on Seneca's writings and diving deep into uh, the things that Seneca said. Uh, And recently, Steve Carafit from the Sunday Stoic podcast reached out to me and he said, hey, listen, I've seen you doing this series on Seneca. Uh, Why don't we get together and have a discussion based around one of his letters? And uh, I thought, amazing, such a good idea. And so, you know, we got together and we had this conversation based all around Seneca's 16th letter entitled On Philosophy, the Guide of Life. And I'm so glad that Steve recommended this letter because uh, there's so much wisdom in it and it's just such a beautiful piece of writing. And uh, I just had such a great time talking with Steve. Uh, He's an amazing guy. And if you've never listened to his show, definitely jump over there. It's called The Sunday Stoic. Uh, He does amazing work over there, releasing episodes each week, helping you to use the principles of Stoicism in your life every day. So, uh, Steve, again, thank you so much, and I'm very much looking forward to the next time we get to have a chat, uh, which I believe will be very, very soon. So, everybody enjoy the episode, and uh, without any further ado, I present to you my interview or conversation with Steve Carafit. Steve, as much as um, I'm excited for this conversation, I just want to, you know, welcome you onto the show, um, and uh, and hopefully we can, you know, release this on both of our podcasts as well. I'm not sure if you're planning on doing that, but if you wish to, please, um, that'd be great. But uh, yeah, Steve, it's great to have you here, and um, I guess uh, first thing that I just want to ask before we dive into the the whole conversation today is. Obviously, you've had some experience with Seneca's writings and you you kind of reached out to me and said, hey, listen, I know you're doing this Seneca series. Why don't we get together and have a chat about a particular letter? Um, what has Seneca done for you in his writings and 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 how, how do you feel he fits into um, your, I don't know, the, the, the canon of philosophy that you, that you read and, and study from? Seneca is an interesting guy. Uh, he's kind of a paradox in a way, um, because we know he was uh, a right-hand man for one of the worst <laughs> emperors in history. Yeah. Uh, and so we we have to imagine he was somehow complicit in some of that. But we also know that he had wonderful ideas and mm. and 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 views on on various aspects of life. And so we um, take what he said and 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 try to real realize that it's coming from I guess I I when I read Marcus Aurelius as well, he often chastises himself for failing at being a good Stoic. Like, remember, you can do this today. Do it yeah. now. You can start now. And Seneca uh, was also a real person and not, uh, uh, you know, he had a he had a complex personality, I'm sure. Mm. Um, and I, I somehow find that reassuring when I realize that I am not uh, always making perfect progress in my own journey. Yeah. But Seneca is a very down to earth guy. Uh, maybe it's because he was rich. Uh, he, he's not 
he's not totally pushing. I don't know. You can compare Epictetus, who's like kind of yelling at you sometimes. <laughs> he's like, yeah. listen here, you don't need stuff. You need to start acting like a stoic and stand up. And I don't even see a stoic in this room right now. Like, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> and and Marcus is talking to himself and 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 it's helpful, of course, but the Seneca is more of a, a lighthearted, uh, a wise grandfather giving you advice, uh, mm. perhaps. And 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 uh, he adds some some views that are interesting. Like he quotes Epicurus all the time, which is interesting. He crosses the to the other camp, and he'll bring in other sources that uh, you might not have heard uh, Epictetus bring up too often. But mm. um, but even with all that, eventually you start to see the threads that unite all of these all these characters and and can see that there is a consistency there but they their approach is quite different so to me seneca was um after reading the meditations was my next uh deep dive into stoicism uh and and it took me a year to read his epistles uh or the letters from a stoic um mm. and and i digested them over that time i tried to read them slowly and I got a lot out of it uh, personally. How about yourself, Simon? Mm. What do you think about? Seneca? Yeah, well, I agree with uh, everything that you're saying there, and particularly the part where you're talking about he was, you know, he was down to earth. You know, because one thing that I really think about Seneca was, um, well, I, I recently did an episode where I was focusing on this part where he was talking about uh, the most important thing that you can recognize when you're on your philosophical journey is that, I mean, just the fact that you can see that there are faults that you have in your character that you'd like to maybe, uh, ra- uh, you, you, you maybe like to fix or to integrate. Um, just the fact that you can see that means that, you know, there's something about you that's right at the moment, right? There's something about the path that you're on that's very right and is worthy of celebration. And, and so Epictetus had this great quote, which I, um, I think has influenced me perhaps more than, anything um, that the Stoics said. And he said uh, something along the lines of uh, true personal growth comes from self-scrutiny and also self-kindness, right? And I think that Seneca absolutely embodied that because so many times in his writings, he'll say something like, hey, listen, um, don't for a second imagine like I'm perfect or, you know, I've come a long way or, you know, that, that I'm some sage here. I'm very, very imperfect, but he still recognized that he had come a long way and he had made a lot of progress. And that perfectly embodies the scrutiny plus the kindness, which you need in order to pull yourself forward uh, with positive emotion in philosophy, but also to stop yourself every, every so often with that scrutiny. And I just think that's it's immeasurably valuable for the person who's just starting out in philosophy to, to know that just be kind to yourself, you know, like recognize how far you've come just by asking the question, how can I be better? Right. Right. I often tell my uh, listeners on my show, like I'm not a sage behind the microphone here. I'm like Seneca says, I'm the podcaster in the sick bed next to you talking to you about, the treatment I've been receiving and how well it's been working. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Seneca makes those analogies. Like I'm not the doctor I'm in, I'm in the bed next to you. We're just both trying to get better here. And I'll give you, I'll tell you what works for me and you can try it yourself. And I think that's yeah. a, a humble approach. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I think one of the reasons I'm looking forward to this conversation today is because we're going to dive into uh, the 16th letter um, that he wrote uh, and, and I've forgotten what it's, uh, what it's actually called. Uh, on, go, on philosophy. philosophy. <laughs> the guide the- to life. Oh, the guide of life. Um, what, one of the reasons why I'm excited to talk to you about this is I feel like we take uh in the way that we approach this philosophy and on our podcasts in particular, I feel that we take a, a really interestingly uh, different approach, right? Because I know that you really like to focus on the, the, the hardcore details of the philosophy. You know, this is what they taught. This is how they taught it. This is, you know, the, the theology behind it. This is the metaphysics physics behind it. And you, you really like to go deep into that sort of stuff. And I, um, I feel like I take a, a, a different approach, not not a better approach, but a different one, which I think is useful for this conversation. Because um, uh, c- I tend to be a more creative. Uh, I'm a very creative personality. Uh, a lot of openness in my personality traits, and and I tend to be always looking for that next thing, that next thing, that next thing. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to Seneca, he gives me a lot of that because I think that he 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 has a lot of simplicity in his philosophy in that he's always looking for how he can most effectively get a student to see what it is that he's trying to say without going too much into the weeds, but you need the weeds, right? I don't go enough into the weeds. I think you go into the weeds a really, a really nice (laughs) amount. Right. And, and I think that the, the two of us talking about this sort of stuff will be really interesting because, um, there's different strengths here that I think we'll bring to the table in this conversation. But the thing we have in common is that unlike, as far as I know, other Stoic podcasts, we both wrote our own intro music to our podcast. Hey, so. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's, that's the most important thing. Here. That's the key. That's of course, that's the key. <laughs> I love it, man. Well, um, yes, Dave, well, well, why don't we jump in? And I think that what we agreed on, we'll, We'll kind of read through the letter, you know, one or two sentences at a time and then have a pause and discuss what it is that we take away from it. Um, and uh, and we'll see where we end up. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Awesome, man. Well, um, would you like to ta- do the honors of the, the first part? <clears throat> well, I certainly will. Let me ask you, uh, Simon, do you say Lucilius or Lucilius? What is I your say Lucilius. Okay. I say Lucilius. That's Actually, that, okay, let's I've pause on that ways. for a second. <laughs> let's pause on that for a second because I learned something interesting the other day. I learned uh, just just for, for everybody who wants to know an interesting fact about Seneca. So Lucius was his, would you say his first name or, you know? Yeah, the, the, the Romans often had several polynomials, you know, lots of names. Yeah. Uh, so I was interested in looking that up and I found out that Lucius actually means light, right? That's what his name means, right? And then and then I learned that Lucilius means light as well or something very, very, very similar, right? And that Lucilius is also, I don't know nearly as much about this as what I, I, I should to talk about it, but it's the diminutive form of Lucius meaning the, the smaller, smaller version or what they might little have called light. like a young, yeah, like a, yeah, little light. Exactly. Right. I thought that was interesting because I know that Sharon, uh, uh, Nancy Sherman has talked about how Seneca wasn't necessarily writing to a particular person, may have just been writing to his self, himself. 
and it just seems strange to me that Lucilius is the kind of this, you know, the, the very way, similar yeah, name. The, so, so uh, well, maybe in the future, I thought about that too. I thought about creating a fake person to write letters to as a way yeah. to uh, change my podcast up every once in a while. But I don't know if yeah. I could come up with something as cool as like, I don't have a name that means light and then I can, you know, diminutive that. I don't know. I have to think. <laughs> yeah. <about> that. <clears throat> but anyway, that was just a, that was just a side fact for everybody. Um, but uh, I'll let you jump in. Footnotes, footnotes to the podcast. That's it. <laughs> it's clear to you. I am sure Lucilius that no man can live a happy life or even a supportable life without the study of wisdom. You know also that a happy life is reached when our wisdom is brought to completion, but that life is at least endurable when even our wisdom is only begun. Hmm. Um, maybe we could pause on that one because I did write a note for that. What do you think about that? Can somebody live a happy life without the pursuit of wisdom? I thought it was interesting in a sense that uh, first of all, when we think about kind of the ancient Stoic view of the good life or the sage, we're not talking about being a sage here, but just improving is where, mm. what we're talking about. Yeah. But, you know, the ancients thought you were you were wicked until you were a, a sage. It was like you could still drown in an inch of water. You're still beneath the surface. You're not there yet. But he's saying here that that uh, we can grow by increments towards our goal which is which is mm. encouraging rather than well you're nothing yet until you finish the project no we're we're making progress but 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 as you said can you le- live a happy life without wisdom um you might make a lot of mistakes along the way uh depends mm. uh i know i know i i uh read uh, some of uh, Peter Stankovitz's work on stoicism and creativity, where he thought, you know, some aspects of life, you can choose to be in one camp or the other, and they don't necessarily overlap. But whether or not that involves wisdom, you know, you need wisdom to be a good artist as well. So hmm. I don't know. What do you think, Simon? Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely, firstly, I think it's interesting to even consider the question of, um, you know, is, is happiness really the goal or are we talking about flourishing here? You know, flourishing, meaningful life. You know, I, right. I've i been convinced of late that happiness is a pretty superficial goal, really, because it's something that can and will be taken away from you against your will at any point in your life. You know, you're not going to be happy if your wife, you know, is diagnosed with terminal cancer. Sure. Uh, and to expect that you could be happy in that situation is inhuman almost um and and i think and and so i think that really it's a there's a problem of definitions here flourishing or a meaningful life seems to be a more appropriate place to take it but i do think about this question um because if you had if we had have asked the question um can you be happy without wisdom you know to me two years ago i would have said well, there's a lot of happy people and they're not all engaging in what we call philosophy, right? right. There's a lot of people who experience great meaning in their life. And, and I think something that I was taught when I was young, you know, one, one of the problems that I had with the religion that I grew up with, Mormonism, was just, just the idea that this is true happiness, you know. Other people don't have it. This is happiness. When you get to a certain point of understanding of God uh, here and something rubbed me the wrong way about that idea because I saw 
people who are living meaningful lives all over the world. But I have to say, I think I might be coming around on the idea because last year I experienced so much meaning from the pursuit of introspective philosophy, trying to go deep within my mind and uproot some of the weeds and maybe plant some, you know, seeds that were going to lead to better fruits, you know, and you know, when my wife asked me what was the best thing about 2020, I said, man, the, the best thing about 2020 was that at the start of the year, I thought one way and I saw the world in one way. And at the end of the year, I don't even recognize how I see the world. You know, wow. I, I don't even recognize the, the the perceptions that I have compared to who I used to be. And I think I couldn't have got there to a really deep sense of meaning in my life without that that pursuits. I don't know what to think of it. Right. It's a, it's a tough one. Cause I don't want to be that person's like, you're not happy unless you have this, but I see it in my own life. You know, like it's, it's, it's pretty amazing when you start to see the results of philosophy. I don't, I don't know. What do you think with, with, with well, your own path? I think happiness, as you said, is, you know, it could be a translation thing or well, yeah. you know, what do you really mean by happy? Uh, yeah. um, I often think one of my, mottos that I stole from somewhere uh, is, you know, don't try to be happy, aim to be useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and uh, happiness is often, you know, what we think of as modern happiness can be a byproduct of being useful or being of service uh, when, when, when you can. But, mm. but I do, I, I feel like when I'm the least happy, it's because I often am thinking about things from an unwise angle. Uh, I'm not putting mm. things in the right perspective. I'm not thinking about things from a view from above, as it were, you know, well, let's put this in context. And this isn't really that bad. It's just what happens. And it's not because it's not something that that's targeting you. It's just a thing that happens to people or that happens to things. And, and then you go, okay. But without that, you might just feel, as Seneca says later, that chance is just trying to follow you around and beat you up all the time. And it's, it's, it's targeting you almost. But when you, when you can think about things wisely, you have, you can uh, more easily put things in context, step back. And maybe it's not a gateway to instant happiness, but contentment or, or peace of mind that uh, you might not be able to easily find otherwise. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. I think that that's, that's a good point, which is that, we, you know, you can almost fall out of alignment with philosophy. And in those moments when you're away from philosophy, you notice that I'm just not looking at the world in the right way. And therefore I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of dissonance that is sort of unnecessary. And I think, you know, maybe what I would come to is I wouldn't necessarily say to somebody, you can't be happy without philosophy. But what I would say to somebody is that philosophy is necessary. You know, it's, it's very, very necessary if, if you're wanting to, um, well, the, the process of seeking out wisdom and trying to become a, a wiser person is necessary. You know, if, if you want to expand your capabilities and the, the richness with which you experience life, I guess. Yeah. It's, it's a process, not a, a place you end up like, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know how wise I am, Simon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, but, but, uh, <laughs> um, um, but the pursuit, the pursuit and when you get little glimpses of it uh, it seems worthwhile yeah yeah worthwhile that's it 
Awesome. Well, maybe maybe I'll uh, I'll pick up where where you left off. And um, so he says, this idea, however clear though it is, must be strengthened and implanted more deeply by daily reflection. It is more important for you to keep the resolutions you have already made than to go on to uh, sorry than to go on and make noble ones. Uh, you must persevere, must develop new strength by continuous study until that which is only a good inclination becomes a good settled purpose. I like this as well. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Practice, practice, practice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think one, one note that I took with that, that line there is it, it definitely seems, um, do you feel, you know, I, I, there's this idea that Seneca talks about often and there's this idea in Stoicism that there is almost a point of no return. Like something that he says is that wisdom never falls back to folly, um, which is very hard for us to believe, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You can get pretty wise, but then you can do something completely stupid. But I think that the wisdom that he's talking about is almost a knowledge. It's almost a knowledge if you were talking about it in a religious sense, it would be a knowledge of good and evil. In a stoic sense, you might say it's a knowledge of virtue and vice. And it's a knowledge of the inherent value in pursuing virtue, right? And I think that one of the things that I take away from that passage, this idea that you want to turn a good inclination into a good, uh, what was it, into a good uh, settled purpose, there definitely comes a point when you've practiced virtue enough that you see the inherent value in pursuing virtue over vice and you see that obviously in your life the very best decision that you could make in each moment is to pursue something that is likened to virtue right and that knowledge I think is something that you don't lose I don't think you lose that knowledge of the very fact that if you don't live up to virtue uh things aren't going to go as well as they could go for you, you know, and you will slide back. And, and I think he actually says that here. He says, um, no, not, not what I was thinking, but you, you know, he often says that, yeah, like just, just because I've arrived at this place doesn't mean that I'm not sliding back as well. I can slide back, you know, I can, I, I can always make stupid decisions, but it's almost as if there's that knowledge there, the underlying knowledge of, okay, if I aim at good, if I aim at virtue, things will go better for me than they would go if I aimed at vice. And having that knowledge is enough to be a destination that they've gotten to that they can't go back from. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I think I, I like, and I mean, Seneca does this elsewhere as well. I, I always think of the analogy of climbing a mountain when it comes to studying mm. philosophy or you're leaving the parking lot and you're trying to get to the top and the tops in the clouds. We don't know if anyone's ever made the top, but um uh, but I know that uh, it's possible to, at least when it comes to practice and implementation, you can definitely slide downhill a ways and and mm-hmm. uh, and and be a little worse off than you had been when you were consistently applying the philosophy. Um, but we have to remember that, yeah, like you said, wisdom is it's deeper than pure just knowledge. Like I know all I, I read. I read Chrysippus, so I'm a stoic, um, yeah. as Epictetus might say, because. I've heard wisdom confused for knowledge um, in some and, and, and being a sage even in stoicism or something close to a sage is not a superpower. 
it doesn't mean you know all. Like I've heard uh, someone say, well, how way how wise was Cato when he couldn't even commit suicide properly? Uh, it took him a couple of tries, you know. Well, that's just fate and and chance and and everything else intervening. He uh, he was pursuing a path of of what he thought was virtue and what he needed to do. Um, and and so that was his application of wisdom. It doesn't mean it works out perfectly. We all yeah. we know that as Stoics, right? But um, what really draws me out here is is this uh, the daily reflection. You know, check your check where you are on the path. Are you a little further ahead? If if you keep checking in, you're you're clinging tightly to the, those rocks. You're less likely to lose uh, lose your your grip on your on your progress. And the thing that I really liked about this sentence was uh, keep uh, to your resolutions that you've already made rather than making more noble ones. Mm. Have simple, simple goals, simple things that you're attempting to accomplish rather than saying, well, I meditated for two days in a row. So I'm going to start meditating for an hour a day now instead of 10 minutes. Oh, and then I failed, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick to your simple resolutions, make them parts of your character. So then you can't slip nearly as easily if it's part of you rather than biting off more than you can chew before you're ready and then failing. And then you might come back down that mountain. But if, if you do it a yeah. little at a time, maybe it becomes ingrained in you so well that you're, you're not going to slip up anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that. And I think that's so important for people to hear as well. Like stop imagining that you're in this place where you can all all of a sudden triple or quadruple your goal size, you know, like the the benefits that you'll get over long-term sustained practice will be so much better than if if you burn out within a couple of days and stop doing your habits. And one question that I did have about um, what you're saying there is, to do with the the journaling side of things or the um, the the daily routine of practice and and study, do you almost feel like there's an element of uh, almost like a scientist is in the same way that a scientist would be looking for proof of their theory? The journaling and the daily reflection is almost like the philosopher's way of proving the theory that virtue is going to. Uh, improve their lives, right? Because obviously one one idea that the, the Greeks had was that maybe when you start out on the pursuit of virtue, it's going to be a pretty selfish pursuit because you think it's going to give you something, you know, and you're going to, you know, get something from it. But then eventually it turns into a natural inclination because you see the inherent uh, intrinsic value of virtue and there's no other way that you want to act, right? It, that's the sage, right? It just does what's right because... It's just the best possible thing to do. So do you feel like there's almost like a, a, a foraging for proof in these daily simple habits where you're trying to see, okay, what, how far have I come today? You know, what have I taken away? What's improved? What hasn't improved? And you're kind of looking for these markers of, um, to, to prove to yourself that, Hey, yeah, this is actually, this is the most valuable thing that I could be doing. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I'd say we are looking for evidence. Uh, I mean, not so much to prove that philosophy is working, maybe, but to to prove uh, if we're not making progress, we have proof of that as well. Like, 
Mm. If I flip back six months ago, I was thinking the same thoughts I'm thinking now. This mm. isn't working. I need to approach this from a different angle. Um, and and uh, as a scientist, uh, or the way I teach science is uh, we often try to prove ourselves wrong rather than prove ourselves right. And so because yeah, yeah. uh, we can trick ourselves into thinking into, you know, oh, I want to believe this. So I'll look for the evidence that supports what I want to believe. And so, so I try to think of things the other way around when I can. Mm. Uh, I haven't thought about it in the context of journaling before, but, but I would uh, look for evidence. I have done that flip back months before to see if my patterns of thinking are different or if I have changed in some way, or if I'm regurgitating the same issues that I've had in the past where if I had gained actual wisdom, I should have improved uh, at this point and maybe I need to approach it from a different angle. So I think it can be very useful from that perspective. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I like that of trying to prove yourself wrong as well. You know, I just think, I think that one of the biggest challenges that philosophers have and one of the biggest challenges that, that we have is to actually convince people that it's worth pursuing virtue because that's a question, right? Like sure. it's, it's a genuine question. And there are a lot of people right now who, who are living their lives and they, they might be thinking, does it really work like that? Cause I've got a pretty good life right now and I haven't been pursuing yeah. virtue and look at all the stuff that I have, you know, like look it's at how good sweet. my life is. Um, really? It's, I, I don't know if I believe you. Right. And I think that that's, um, that's one of the ultimate questions of philosophy and i think if you face it as a question not as just something that you're forcing upon yourself it allows you to see how things are unfolding around you as opposed to just following blindly and and yeah i don't know something to consider anyway <laughs> shall we move on to number two please let's do it <clears throat> hence you no longer need to come to me with much talk and protestations I know that you have made great progress. I understand the feelings which prompt your words. They are not feigned or specious words. Nevertheless, I shall tell you what I think, that at the present, I have hopes for you, but not yet perfect trust. And I wish that you would adopt the same attitude towards yourself. There is no reason why you should put confidence in yourself too quickly and readily. Examine yourself scrutinize and observe yourself in diverse ways, but mark before all else, whether it is in philosophy or merely in life itself that you have made progress. Mm. I like that. I really like that idea of not necessarily trusting yourself yet. <laughs> I think that takes us right back to journaling, doesn't it? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm doing well. Well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I've uh, I haven't made as much progress as I thought. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. It, it's definitely a def delicate balance, right? You need to you need to trust yourself enough to give yourself that kindness, right? Of I know I'm imperfect, but hey, maybe I can make some improvement. But the scrutiny part has to come in where you say. Um, well, I don't really know how, how far I can go with this yet. And I don't really, I don't really know if I'm doing it right yet. That's probably the biggest thing, right? It's, it's like our inclination to think that we're doing it right is the very thing that keeps us from doing it right ever. <laughs> because <laughs> if, if you think that you're doing this thing called philosophy, right. And if you think that you're, you know, you're on the right path. I had this question the other day 
that I think introduced me to my shadow. <laughs> and the question okay. was, the question was, if I was a psychopath, how would I know? If if I if I was ruining the lives of those people around me, how would I actually know that? You know, because I'd be exhibiting some psychopathologies. And one of the clear things that you know about people who exhibit psychopathologies is they don't necessarily see that they're doing it. That's sure. what that seems to be what Seneca's saying here. Don't 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 trust yourself so much because you might be doing this wrong. I I I trust you a little bit, but not all the way because you might be doing I, it wrong. I was my mind's not as colorful or fun. Uh, I was thinking of say someone trying to quit drinking. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a drink in six months. So I like to have friends over. They like to drink. So I'll go ahead and buy ten bottles of wine and keep them in the in the cupboard because yeah. I'm fine. I haven't had a drink in six months. Like, ah, don't trust yourself so much yet. You just might want to wait till you have a little more evidence that you're ready before you even think about doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't tempt so yourself. You're saying take it down to the smallest possible incremental <laughs> changes that you could make because the chances that you're going to be able to uh, make the big changes and still have all the temptations around and stuff like that is, is very low. Like, so have, have a really, honest picture of yourself don't uh you might you might end up wondering uh, what happened last night why there's six empty bottles of wine uh in the in the in the tr in the hopefully the recycling if we are good stoics right <laughs> um um uh, and and your head hurts the next day because you you misjudged your capabilities and your ability to resist temptation you hadn't made the progress you had thought now that's a you know an example with with something like an addiction but uh a lot of the things that that trigger pleasure we could argue that we pursue are some form of addiction or yeah um and so maybe maybe there's something to that as well like make sure that uh you have had a habit like he talks a lot about habit here like reflect on this until it's part of you and and mm. and and test yourself all the time and and don't be too ready to say i've made it until you're really sure that you have uh, 700 days of straight uh, I took a cold shower every day. I am truly a master of cold showers now or whatever, whatever the habit is uh, you, you, you have enough check marks on that calendar to really give yourself confidence that, that, that you're uh, you're accomplishing something there. And he says something about make sure you're making progress in philosophy and not just life itself. Mm. And I, I took that for two things, but then I found a footnote in one translation that just said it meant make sure you're not just getting older Mm. but you're actually yeah okay more philosophical uh that was one way to interpret that i also thought yeah. well i'm getting richer i'm getting more possessions but that doesn't mean i'm becoming more philosophical uh, yeah and don't confuse the two don't confuse contentment with wealth with contentment with philosophy and mm. and things we have to think about yeah I, I i like that i like that idea that that's an interesting perspective on that sentence because i i'll admit i didn't quite understand where he was coming from but that clears it up because he said he has similar ideas in other letters for example there's another letter where uh, he's talking about you know how you feel great when you're initiated into the realm of men you know by your age but how much better will you feel when you're initiated into that group by your wisdom, right? When wisdom initiates you into, into the, the good life. And, and it's this idea that, you know, age 
has nothing to do with wisdom, right? <laughs> you, I mean, right. there's a little bit there. Like, obviously, you get the wisdom of experience, but you could be like a 50-year-old, 20-year-old, <laughs> you know, in terms of wisdom. And you can be a 20-year-old, 50-year-old in terms of your wisdom. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. I know, I know people like that as well, and it's just... Um, you want to be that, you know, you want to be ahead of your time in wisdom. And I, that's, that's an interest. I'm glad that you brought that up. Awesome. Shall we, um, shall we jump into verse three? Number three. Heck yeah. Philosophy is no trick to catch the public. It is not devised for show. It is a matter not of words, but of facts. It is not pursued in order that the day may yield some amusement before it is spent or that our leisure may be uh, relieved of a tedium that irks us. It moulds and constructs the soul. It orders our life, guides our conduct, shows us what we should do and what we should leave undone. Make a note to come back to that one. Uh, Mm -hmm. It sits at the helm and directs our course as we waver amid uncertainties. Without it, no one can live fearlessly or in peace of mind. Countless things that happen every hour call for advice, and such advice is to be sought in philosophy. There's a lot that we can Whoa. unpack there. I love it. <laughs> yeah, he starts off like Epictetus does, yelling at me for being a podcaster sometimes, like, quit talking <laughs> exactly about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Seneca, Seneca is one of those people, hey, who it's definitely hard to read him if you're in, um, in, in a professional in 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 a in doing what we're doing right because it's like he really forces you to see um what are you really doing this for <laughs> you know what what's the real purpose here i've had so many moments last year reading seneca where i was just like oh crap did you really have to say that seneca <laughs> <laughs> dang it. you know because yeah. i i can't just you know you can't you can't just read this and be like yeah i'm doing everything perfect like we've already talked about but i don't know what, what do you take away from that sort of stuff well, like you say, philosophy is no trick to catch the public. And and uh, I don't know. There's a lot of, if you look at Twitter, there's tons of stuff that'll have a stoic hashtag on it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but is it <laughs> is it there to catch the eye and draw you in to spend money somewhere or whatever? You know, what, 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 why is that there? Uh, but I, I do, um, I often go back when I read things like that. I think of uh, just as a podcaster. I, uh, I, my first interview ever was William Irvin, uh, the guide to the good life author. Um, I, I was nervous. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he said, people think I'm a, I'm a sage. I'm not, I'm just a guy who's trying to get better with philosophy. And I thought, okay, good. So I, as a podcaster, <laughs> don't have to live up to a, a, high, a, a standard that's impossible to meet. But then again, you read, Epictetus, who's like, well, quit vomiting up the grass and grow some wool here. Stop yeah. regurgitating and start showing it. And he says here, this isn't a trick. This isn't a trick to get patrons. This is not, uh, <laughs> he's mm. kind of giving us the same view there. And it's worth thinking about, like, why am I doing this? Am I, am I here for me? Am I actually doing a service? Or, or is this somehow for the glory of of the guy behind the microphone. And it's, and it's, I think a, a worthwhile thing to think about. Um, yeah. I, I think one thing that I, one thing that I can add to what you're saying there is, is definitely that, you know, when, when you're doing a podcast about stoicism, obviously it, it can be, 
it can be easy to turn it into uh, a podcast about the history of Stoicism as opposed to a podcast where you're engaging with the philosophy and seeing what you can take from it and use in your life to to practice the philosophy right and and mm-hmm. and and i think that um yeah just it's similar to another idea that he said that he had which really influenced me which was uh hey you know you're always saying Zeno says this and Zeno says that well, what are you gonna say what have <laughs> right, you got what, what do you got yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what are you gonna add to value you know and and i think that that crushed me because as a as a creative person i know that that's what i need to be doing is i need to be I need to be creating and and bringing something new to the table, right? And and every time I read that, I was just like, oh crap, you know. Okay, what are you going to do here? Are you going to, you know, are you going to bring something valuable? Are you going to see how this philosophy can work in your life as opposed to just talking about it? And I'll admit f- fully that when I started my podcast, I was talking about it. When I started my podcast, there was a part of me that it was almost like a it, it was a path to get patrons, you know, and, and I can recognize that now. But as I've worked on that, it's become so much deeper of a mission, uh, you know, and a personal one as well that I've recognized it has to come from a place where I see how this philosophy is working in my life and I'm relaying that to you. I'm not just telling you about this philosophy. I'm I'm telling you about how it's worked for me and how mm-hmm. it might work for you as well. I don't know. How do you, how do you feel? Well, I think, I, I agree. And uh, I've, I know a long time ago, I did an episode called be your own philosopher, where it was, I mean, not that I can, I'm, I'm once again, I'm regurgitating Seneca here while I'm doing the trying to not do regurgitate Seneca, but, but it's like, we got to try to be able to have our own thoughts. These are our guides, not our masters, uh, you know, as they mm. say, and, and, um, uh, but, but the, the proof of, you know, regardless of why we started or what we're doing, you know, and I, uh, the proof to me that at least it's, it's having a good benefit in the world, uh, which is, I guess, an external from a, from a stoic perspective though, is, mm. is the feedback we get from, from listeners where, you know, it's like, boy, I hope what I did was useful or I hope it wasn't yeah. impractical or whatever. And then you get a letter in saying, Hey, this really changed the way I see things or this helped me get through this. And, yeah. And then, then you can start saying, "Oh, wow! This is, this is. It's not just me talking to a computer. There's, there's a, there's a world out there that that's uh, looking for this information. And not yeah. everyone has the time to read a whole letter from Seneca. So even sometimes, if you do do what we're doing now and just sort of read through it, it exposes people to it who who are too busy to to read yeah. moral letters to Lucilius. Um, and so I think." I think we can provide value uh, so long as we are trying to do it for the right reasons. And we, we don't just say, well, because the Stoics said so it's true. Yeah. We, we apply our own philosophical views uh, from the 21st century to what we're, what we're pursuing here. Mm. Yeah. I I definitely think that's, um, that's an appropriate way to look at it. And, and, and also to something to consider also is that, I've tr- I've trying to be I've I've been trying to unpack the way I look at this sort of thing because on the one hand I don't want to be you know for me I I think man if I could get to a stage where all I do is you know 
practice this philosophy and help other people to find this and, you know, do my music and stuff like that. But essentially what I'm getting paid for in all of these circumstances is to get smarter and to be wiser so that I can add more value to the people who I'm helping. That would be a good thing, right? It would be a good thing if, if like Seneca says, if, if your virtue could be amplified by, by the money that you make or the, the status that you get to, right? Um, and that if, if it's taken away, then obviously you want to be, uh, uh, be able to remain sane if it is taken away. Right. Um, but it can be easy with something like this to think, well, I shouldn't be pursuing say a stable income from something like this, or I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that when I think it's actually more about the intentions behind it. And it's about the practice that you actually put into become the person, not to just be the talking piece for the philosophy, you know, um, the character, and I think the, <laughs> yeah, the character, right? Yeah, the, the persona of stoicism as opposed to the the person who has embodied the philosophy. Um, I want to add a couple more things just to that one that we read just before we move oh, yeah, on. There was some good stuff in that sentence. So some good stuff. <laughs> um, I, I think the the thing that I really like about it is the philosophy teaches us what is to be done and what is to be left undone. Mm-hmm. is such a brilliant idea that he's also mentioned in a couple of other letters. Um, and I just want to express to anybody who's listening to this that some of the most important changes that I've made in my life that have led me to a more meaningful life and what you might say is as close to flourishing have not been times when I've added something to my life, but times when I've removed something that was completely unnecessary and not bringing me any value, um, you know, or when I've removed things that even though one part of me said, you really should be doing this, I could see that it was not where I was putting my efforts and I was not going to do it right because I just wasn't there. My heart wasn't in it. And so I love this idea that philosophy is kind of trying to sift through, you know, sift the wheat from the chaff, right? And what's necessary, what's not necessary, get rid of what's not necessary, move closer towards that, which is necessary. Um, but yeah, I'll let you jump in if, if you have other things that you take away from that sort of oh, stuff. Oh, I, I think you're, you know, right on the money there where I, philosophy sits at the helm. It's the, if you, if, mm. if you, if you study it deeply, it becomes El Capitan here. It's going to be the captain of our ship. And, and he says, countless things happen every hour that call for advice and such advice is to be sought in philosophy. So He's saying mm. this isn't just something you learn for show, something you learn for fun. This is something that that you can actually use a hundred times an hour when you make decisions throughout your day. Philosophy and philosophy, I think, if, if you make a habit of it, if if you can really get it deeply within, um, so it is a habit. It's almost not a decision anymore. You're trying to just do the wise thing, do the hard thing and not complain about it when it's the right thing and, and yeah. not look back and just move on. And that's kind of the goal that uh, we're all aiming for, I think. Yeah, De- definitely that idea that, man, every moment has an unbearable complexity, right? Like if, <laughs> if, if we actually saw everything that was going around, going on around us in each moment, we would be completely overwhelmed and we would die on the spot, you know, like, and, and, and I, a question that I stole from Jordan Peterson, which I repeat as often as I can, is you sit on the side of your bed and you ask yourself, what are the remarkably stupid things that I'm doing in my life right now that I absolutely know 
are leading me down a bad path, right? <laughs> and and when I thought about that question, I was like, oh crap, you ask that question, you'll immediately get answers. You, you, you'll get like 50 answers on the spot, right? That's philosophy. You know, that's philosophy right there. It's like every day you need some sort of good advice and you can seek that within yourself. You can just ask that kind of question. What are the stupid things that I'm doing? You know it. You're just not willing to look at it. (laughs) You know, like if you were willing to look at the stupid things that you're doing and if you're looking, if you're willing to look at all of the benefits that you could accrue in your soul as a result of pursuing virtue, if you would just look at it, you would see the answers, you know, and, and I think that that's a question that I just try to throw out there as often as I'm reminded of it, because it's, oh man, it's immeasurably valuable. You know, if, if you, if you the examined life in a nutshell, right? Yeah. The, the examined life right there. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if you thought of, if you even knew of all the obstacles you were going to have to overcome in the next seven months and you knew them all now, it would be very overwhelming. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How in the world am I going to do that? Yeah. But, but when we could solve them in the moment, because all we have is the moment, we don't mm-hmm. have yesterday and we don't have tomorrow. We only have to worry about right here, right now. I'm talking to Simon Drew mm. and, and, uh, and that's all I got to worry about. Right. And the trick is pulling that off. I think. Yeah. That's <laughs> Being it. In that yeah. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because as much as we can recognize that I can ask that question, the problem is how often do I actually think to ask that question? You know, how often do I actually, and that's that's impossible because all yeah. of a sudden you'll, you'll wake up in the middle of an argument where you're just being an absolute jerk, you know, and you're like, oh, crap, I didn't think about this five minutes ago when I started yelling. <laughs> it's like, it's like, how often do you think about it? Is it a habit yet or is it just something that you're trying to, push yourself towards you know so yeah put it on your wall you can hang it on your wall but then of course it becomes just part of the wall after a while if you don't remember to read it that's it that's it that's that i think that's a way deeper um point than than we we need to dive into that because that's one of our biggest problems right is that things just become a part of the furnishings and you know you can give yourself all kinds of reminders, but in the end, we don't look for the things that are usual. We don't look for the things that are, you know, common. And we, we look for the things that stand out to us. Right. Thus, why you might wake up in the middle of an argument because it stands out to you. It's like, oh, crap, I've arrived <laughs> at this place. Oh, where did I go wrong? You, you know, like, yeah, it's interesting. Um, cool. Well, uh, I'll, I, I might let you jump into verse four then. Verse number four. All right. Um, Perhaps someone will say, how can philosophy help me if fate exists? Of what avail is philosophy if God rules the universe? Of what avail is it if chance governs everything? For not only is it impossible to change things that are determined, but it is also impossible to plan beforehand against what is undetermined. Either God has forestalled my plans and decided what I am to do, or else fortune gives no free play to my plans. I could mm. keep going because the next bit is kind yeah. of tied into this, but... M- might be worth it just because uh, he kind of answers that question, right? Whether the truth Lucilius lies in one or all of these views, we must be philosophers. Whether fate binds us down by inexorable law, or whether God as arbiter of the universe has arranged everything 
or whether chance drives and tosses human affairs without method, philosophy ought to be our defense. She will encourage us to obey God cheerfully, but fortune defiantly. She will teach us to follow God and endure chance. Hmm. Yeah, now we're going to get into the weeds with the whole God subject, right? I love this. This is great. <laughs> this, 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 this one little letter has it all, man. Yeah, yeah, there's so much in here. I think I try to think about the way that they looked at God and, and why he would say something like, you know, uh, philosophy should teach us to obey God. And I almost think that it's, tell me if you think I'm wrong here, but I, I feel like what the Stoics are trying to get at with the idea of living in agreement with nature is, well, let's all agree for a second, or let's all imagine that there are a lot of things that are a lot bigger than we are, right? That maybe govern our lives more than we govern their lives, right? You could say culture is one of those things. Nature is one of those things. That's stereotypically mythological as well. And then in between those two things, you have the logos, which is the the governing principle that orders between the chaos of nature and the order of, you know, your culture. I like to think of the way that they see God as almost like the highest possible good. You know, philosophy will teach you to, to obey whatever is the highest possible good that you can conceive of within which your life is, is, is beholden to sort of thing. If, if that kind of makes sense, I don't know if it does, but what do you think? I, I think so. Um, you know, God is, uh, it's funny cause you read the Stoics and you can get different Maybe it's because they had different ideas of what God is. Maybe there wasn't a uniform view, mm. but you can get different aspects. Uh, sometimes God feels basically like another word for nature. Sometimes yeah. you get the real sense that it's a God that's watching over you to see how you're doing today. <laughs> and other times, mm. you know, they talk about different gods and goddesses, uh, which sometimes feel like they're all extensions of the one universal God, perhaps it's, mm. it's really interesting, but I think I often think of God as the ultimate sage, mm. the, the, like you said, the perfect. Uh, and in this case, it's the perfect thing that also uh, causes the world to be as it is. Um, yeah. And so um, I guess our job is to figure out uh, the things we can change and should change and, 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 and live virtuously like uh, Epictetus talks about, you know, playing with a, a ball, you know, the, this is mm. the thing of life. The, this ball is not the point, but what we're doing with it is important. Um, is and, and tying that all together, aligning all that, all this stoic stuff. So it all makes sense in a, in like a cohesive way takes a lot of thinking and a lot, yeah. <laughs> a lot of journaling. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, and and a lot of yeah, you yeah, you're right, like a lot of personal um reflection, you know, I think something that definitely changed my thoughts on um how to deal with the question of say God is the idea that Israel means he who wrestles with God, you know, that that embedded in the Bible for example is this this question of will you wrestle with not will you just believe but will you wrestle with the very concept you know will will you try to figure it out because that's always what we're trying to do right and um and i think i like i like this idea that he's kind of he's kind of <laughs> he's kind of uh 
what's 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 the right word? He's he's saying it's the wrong question, right? It, it's the wrong question to say, well, well, hey, you know, what's the purpose of philosophy if all right, of this right. is going to government? The the equivalent of a modern question, I think, is I always think it's very disingenuous when people say, um, you know, well, I don't believe in God because because look at all the bad things that happen. I kind of think, well, that doesn't disprove God. That just means that you're you you've departed from from the idea of god because you're angry at the state of being right like the question of of bad things happening it's like that doesn't mean that there's not a god it it, it just it just means that crap things happen all, all the all the time <laughs> and those are the laws of the universe in which you are living um and 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 and, and i think it, it's it's almost like um the right question is if if there is a a god who or you know a highest possible good what is it and how can i live in agreement with it so that there's a little bit less hell and a little bit more heaven in the life of my own self and the people around me in my society if if that makes right. sense and like he kind of says here which is sort of the way marcus aurelius writes as well which is interesting is that if there is a god or there is not a god Let's let's say there's a fork in the road, but is there a way to bridge the two where I live a certain way that would be the best way to live regardless mm, of yeah. where I'm which way which way I take here? Is there a is there is there a way that you can almost go down both roads? Not maybe not literally, you might you're either gonna believe or you're not, but what about the way you conduct your daily life? Mm. Um I'd rather I'd rather be a a, a righteous or a you know very good uh atheists and be wrong than uh, a, a churchgoer who cuts people off in the parking lot on the way yeah. out. And <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like yeah. there's a way to live. That's pretty good. No matter which path you're on. And we, and, yeah. and we might want to reflect on that. So it's almost like uh, live as if God exists, No, you know, as, as if there's something that, you know, just so that you cover all your bases. <laughs> Well, then we're getting into Pascal's wager and things like that. I don't know. Yeah. But be a good person. Well, it's it's also interesting to think, you know, despite the, I think that a lot of these philosophies and religions are trying to bring us into, um, to, to reconcile the fact that we're in such a chaotic and painful existence, right? And to essentially say, listen, it doesn't matter uh, whether you don't like it or not. What makes you think for a second, like the consciousness of the universe, the universal whole cares one bit what you think of the way it's running the show right <laughs> like like yeah. what makes you think that you're you're above god to such a point where you can just say well i don't like i don't like you know being i don't like the fact that all these things happen against my will so i'm just gonna butt out doesn't matter you know you're still living uh you're in this thing uh you're still right. gonna die all this stuff's still gonna happen to you so you might as well find a philosophy that helps you to thrive under those conditions as opposed to just drowning pointlessly and painfully you know absolutely absolutely yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a philosophy is a piece of driftwood to help us uh <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a driftwood in the flood yeah 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 philosophy you could even say i think you could make a good case that philosophy is the way that you build an ark so that when the flood comes you don't get taken away as much as you could have you know and, and it's it can help us to navigate to uh, 
as he says later, uh, in the words of the great, late, great George Harrison, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Um, (laughs) if you, if you don't have a, a, a direction to sail by, you're just going in circles and and philosophy helps us to build that boat and sail it at least towards a port, whether or not we'll be happy when we get there, we can decide later, I guess. Yeah. And, (laughs) and, and you can change along the way. That's the brilliant thing. You can, you can see the markers that yes, this is working or no, I'm obviously wrong here and I need to change the way I see this. You know, you can guide yourself in each moment. So yeah. Love it. This but I think there's, there's just one more, one more part here Please. for the, uh, before we start getting to Epicurus, uh, mm. do you want to do uh, number six, Simon? Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. Uh, but it is not my purpose now to be led into a discussion as to what is within our control. If foreknowledge is supreme or if a chain of fated events drags us along in its clutches, or if the sudden and unexpected uh, play the tyrant over us, I return now to my warning and my exhortation that you should not allow the impulse of your spirit to weaken and grow cold. Hold fast to it and establish it firmly in order that what is now impulse may become a habit of mind. I love this. I, I'll, I'll let you jump in if you if you have some notes okay. on that. Uh, I mean, so once again, he's rehashing that it doesn't matter if if Zeus is over your shoulder and directing your day, or if it's chaotic, uh, or if it's the fates that have determined what's going to happen tomorrow, or if it's just chance. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter which one which one it is. Uh, 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 it's going to be philosophy that's going to get you through any of those scenarios. It's the it's the ace in the hole, as it were. It's, it's the way to get through this. And um, but it, but then he says, but that's not important today. Uh, we're not going to worry about what's in our power and what is not. Uh, mm. I want to remind you that that you need to hold on to that goodness that you have, that little bit of progress you've made. That we that you don't want that to grow cold and go out. Don't let that light go out. Keep it burning. Hold on to it and and take what right now is kind of a, an interest and, and turn it into a, a full on, I, I shouldn't say passion because it has other connotations and stoicism, but mm. uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a way of life. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so moving more surely towards that direction where you, you clearly understand what the value and what you're doing is, and you can see the changes are happening and it becomes a, a habit in your life as opposed to just a pursuit. And that's not to downplay the pursuit because it's necessary that you even like, like we talked about before, Seneca says that one of the most important things is that you recognize where your faults are. You know, that's not the destination, but it's, it's at least the beginning, the pursuit. Um, But then you will get to a point where it's almost as if uh, it, it's like at the start, you're learning how to drive a manual car. And then the end is when you're kind of like on the highway and just cruising along and things are happening, right? <laughs> so that, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh no, I'm parked on a hill. What do I do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, once you have the habit, the power of habit, you don't. Kind of like we said earlier, things become part of the furniture, right? Or yeah. you know, they disappear. Good habits, like driving a, a manual uh, uh, transmission vehicle. Uh, Eventually, you don't, you know, those are, we'll call those good analogy for good habits. You mm. don't even think about those eventually, but, but you make progress every day. You get to where you're going every day 
because of those good habits that you've developed through failure. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but now, now you don't even have to think about it and you do it the right way. And that's, boy, that'd be nice if we could accomplish that. Uh, yeah. I think Ward Farnsworth kind of talks about that in his book where he likes to think of the Stoics as taking the perspective. What if I had lived for a thousand years, you know, could you imagine all the good habits? If you develop good habits that entire time, what kind of amazing person you could be in a thousand years if you were mm. fully functional? Um, mm. You know, what, what, where could we be if we were able to put things in that kind of perspective and learn mm. as we go? Actually, let's, let's jive on that for a second. Cause that's, that's a really interesting point that I think has some legs in other directions as well. Like if you think, okay, so obviously it's impossible for you to build habits over thousands of years, but <laughs> But there's a really interesting idea in the Bible, which is that like the sins of the father will last many, many, many generations. And something that I often deal with in my coaching practice with people is, is like dealing with people's bad habits that they've actually gained from their family upbringing, right? The mindsets that they have uh, that were given to them almost by their parents and the way that they were treated. And what you have to think here is, if, if I'm a father, right, and I develop really good habits and I become wise and I, and I, I rid myself of these faults and I, and I come as close as I can to a flourishing life, that may very well last a thousand years. The fact that you have decided to become that person, you're going to pass that down to your kids, hopefully, in the way that they show up in the world. Like, it's not as if your habit lasts a thousand years, but the legacy lives on in the generations that you leave. Because if you're an angry, resentful, you know, spiteful dad and you, you know, you don't treat your kids right. And then all of a sudden they've got these habits. What are the chances that they're not going to give those habits to their kids and then to their kids? It's, and I really, I want to dive into this idea that he has as well. Cause I take a, a very pessimistic view on a lot of the stuff that he says in this, in this quote. Um, <laughs> okay. This idea that we're being dragged along in the wake of fate. I think that that's such a profound idea that the Stoics had, which is essentially like what we are is like we've been plopped into the water in the wake of a boat going along, right? And and so it's it's, it's very messy. There's all kinds of things happening. There's there's splashes and waves everywhere, but you're still being dragged along with the the kind of force of the those waves, right? They're pulling Time you Time to along. water ski, Simon. Time to water <laughs> ski. Exactly, right? But, you know, I think that's useful to know. And if you look at something like, for example, World War II, look at the damage that was created by people uh, mindlessly being dragged along by that wake of fate you know so all of a sudden you know you were once this regular working class person and now due to all of these very complex things that are happening around you you find yourself as a guard in Auschwitz and you're shooting Jewish people you know and people can do that and we can do that we can get to that point where we're so dark that we just get dragged along by fate into very evil places that nobody would say that's not evil, you know? Right. So, sorry, did you want to jump in? No, I was just saying it's, it's, a, it's, it's a lie for most of us to say, well, that could never be me. Well, maybe that situation mm. exact, but you don't know what, 
especially when it's slow incremental change in the wrong direction. Mm. And it seems right uh, to some yeah. it's supported by people. It, it's not condone, you know, people mm. aren't saying, well, you shouldn't do that. It seems to be the right thing from the perspective of the masses, which is something mm. else Seneca will talk about else other readings, right? You know, watch out what the, what the masses are saying, mm. but, uh, but you can find yourself in a situation where, you should have done what you recommended earlier, what Jordan Peterson says and get out of bed and say, what stupid things am I doing? Mm. Like, Oh, wait a minute. Uh, There's a a British comedy. I love when they're like, could we be the baddies? We have skulls (laughs) on our uniforms. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. Like, like, wait a minute. Oh crap. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I, I really think that if, if you're the kind of person who says that that would never be me, firstly, history doesn't support your theory of yourself, right. <laughs> you know, history doesn't support that. And on top of Oddly that, enough, I like- the people who, the people who do stand out against that are like beacons. They're not the masses. It's in, it's yeah. rare individuals that rose up against that sort yes. of thing. Not the masses. Yeah. yeah. And what's the, and what the- are the odds that you're that person? And the person who says, you know, that's never going to be me is, that makes you so much more likely to be that person, you know, like, because you're unaware. And so what I like here, I wrote down something when I read this last night. Um, uh, I wrote, once you know virtue and its fruits, you really want to move towards virtue. Once you know vice and its fruits, you really want virtue, right? Because, because once you actually know that you can be dragged by fate down a very destructive path and you can ruin people's lives and you can ruin your own life if you're not paying attention, that's a knowledge of good or good and evil. That's a knowledge of that's a knowledge of virtue and vice. You know, it's it's a knowledge that, hey, I if I don't pay attention here, I'm gonna do some stupid things that are going to just absolutely be catastrophic for people. So why don't I why don't I recognize that, recognize that I'm being dragged along by this thing and maybe figure out some of the rules that can help me to be uh, Solzhenitsyn and bring down the Soviet empire as opposed to being <laughs> Hitler and ruining the world. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, be good, how, yeah. how can I well, be a light, my, my, a beacon? My crude, as a, yeah. my crude analogy earlier, you're being drugged behind a boat. Yeah. Uh, learn to water ski um, yeah. rather than floundering and running into logs and, you know, you can help other people when you, when you learn what the rules are, when you learn yeah. how to handle yourself, when you can kind of see where you're going and bear in mind that one day the lights go out. You don't know when all along this journey you're done with this. Yeah. So try to do what you can while you can and make the best of it. Cause if you just sit around and mope, you're still going to travel 200 meters tomorrow, whether you're sitting and moping or whether you are, yeah skiing and paying attention exactly that same amount of time has passed yeah no that's such an important recognition you're in this 100 whether you like it or not (laughs) you're being dragged whether you like it or not and (laughs) and i think that one of the really harsh things that a lot of the stoics said is like hey if you want to (laughs) leave let go of the rope that's fine yeah you you can leave. And that's such a dark thing to say. I, I want to laugh a lot when I hear that. Cause it's almost, it's, it's like a British comedy, right? It's like, right. You leave, <laughs> go on, get out. Oh, um, get on out there. Then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so rough. It's so rough to hear that, but, but there's a real, this it's so important, right? It's like, Hey, sure. if you want to leave, you can get out. Right. But, but if you want to survive and if you want to thrive, 
here's some rules of the universe, the universal reason that we're trying to pay attention to. So anyway, yeah, before I go on, let's uh, let's jump into the next part. I'll let you read Number that. seven. I think we're at number seven, aren't we? Yes, um, yeah, that's it. If I know you well, you have already begun trying to find out from the very beginning of my letter what little contrib- contribution it brings you. This reminds me of being a kid. I don't know how things were in Australia, but we would get in the 80s. We, I would have cereal with a toy in the bottom for uh, mm-hmm. and I would, you know, I don't care what's what the stuff I'm supposed to eat is. I want to know what the treat is at the bottom here. I want to find the <laughs> toy. So Lucilius is trying to find this little morsel at the end of Seneca's letter after he's done going on and on about uh, philosophy or about stoicism. But he says, um, sift the letter and you will find it. You, you need not wonder at any genius of mine for as yet I am lavish only with other men's property. But why did I say other men, whatever is well said by anyone else, I'm sorry, whatever is well said by anyone is mine. This also is a saying of Epicurus. If you live according to nature, you will never be poor. If you live according to opinion, you will never be rich. Nature's wants are slight. The demands of opinion are boundless. Suppose that the property of many millionaires is heaped upon your possession. Assume that fortune carries you far beyond the limits of a private income, decks you with gold, clothes uh, clothes you in purple, and brings you to such a degree of luxury and wealth that you can bury the earth under your marble floors, that you may not only possess, but tread upon riches, add statues, paintings, and whatever any art has devised for the satisfaction of luxury. You will learn, you will only learn from such things to crave still greater. Hmm. A very interesting depiction of the just the nature of humanity. He gets it exactly right, which is no matter it, it's it's the same argument that I believe um, Solzhenitsyn made. I believe it was him who basically said something along the lines of, you know, you could be sitting in a pool of bliss and bubbles of happiness, you know, floating up around you, but the first thing that a human will do if they're in that situation is break something just so that they have something interesting to do, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we always, you know, we always want more and we also don't like necessarily perfection. Um, (laughs) It's it's interesting, but he, he gets it exactly right. People's opinion Man, there's no limit to that, hey. <laughs> nope, just, uh, I don't know. I don't know about you. I, I, I suck at social media use because I, I, I log into Twitter. I'm like, I don't have anything I want to say. Like, like, <laughs> yeah. uh, but other people just seem to be on there going, cranking out material. And I'm not here to judge them. But, you know, if you're always like, oh, I need some more likes. I need some more likes, for example. That's going to drive you. Uh, and it won't stop. When are you going to mm. finally say, well, today I finally had 50 likes on a post. I'm done. I'm king of Twitter. I retire. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's not going to happen. Um, yeah. Obviously, that's the case with money. I mean, he paints a vivid picture here where you're so rich that you're walking on wealth, that you've mm-hmm. covered the earth in your marble floors. And then you're going to be like, well, what else? I want the moon too. Can someone get that for me, please? Mm. Um the the uh the the desire for more is that hedonic treadmill uh is never ending unless you you put a break on it yeah 
Yeah, uh, 100%. I mean, it's, it's one of the main reasons. One of the main reasons why I moved away from social media altogether was just, um, you know, I, I started the year having all of the social media. So I was like, I'm going to crush this. I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be saying everything. But, you know, as I paid more attention to the practice of philosophy, man, I was being pulled in another direction. I just did not want to be on there. And the funny thing is, in my previous job, social media was, I was king of social media, you know, like, you know, the company nationwide recognized that I was killing it on social media for the club, you know, and and every day I was on it all the time. But one of the things that drew me away was, was, hang on, there's always going to be a new platform. There's always going to be new rules, you know, new things that I'm going to have to learn in order to catch these flies, you know, and it's like, just stop it. Like there's way more important things to be focusing on that are steady over time that don't lose their value, that don't lose their meaning. And when I started thinking about that, I was like, okay, cool. That's why (laughs) deep down within me, I'm just so drawn away from it. Um, And I think that there's an interesting thing at the start of that sentence as well. Like you you said, where he's kind of (laughs) this idea of sifting through the cereal, right? To find the, the treasure at the bottom. I like that. I think that one thing I really thought when I read that was, kind of the way that literature works and the way that philosophy works is that every time you come back to it and you recognize this as well, every time you come back to it, you see something different because it kind of unfolds as though it's like a tree growing right from a seed, right? The seed is, you know, you can basically comprehend it at the start and maybe you're, you're ignorant, 20 year old and you're still in that phase of life where you just go, go, go. I want to get as much as I can. And I'm so excited for life. And so your perceptions are leading you to see something within the writing that if you would become the philosopher that you could be, if you would practice philosophy in the way that you should, and if you would get the results that Seneca is talking about, you'll see something completely different in his writings to what you saw, you know, 10 years ago. And I I really do think that philosophy unfolds like that in that it becomes richer and richer the more you pay attention to and practice its principles, uh, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Just like reading, a, I've read, uh, a, uh, there's a book that uh, was in my field uh, when I was studying wildlife biology, they said, Oh, you should read the sand County almanac by Aldo Leopold. Probably it may not have may not be big over there, but uh, but it, he was the what they call the father of wildlife management. I read it mm-hmm. when I was twenty, and I was like, "What is this?" It was too artsy. Uh, I was a farm kid, uh, and I was a <laughs> this or that, and I don't. And then I read it again when I was thirty, and I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> yeah. I just got so much more out of it because my experiences had changed, and my understandings had changed, and my priorities had changed. And philosophy, I think you know, Seneca is going to be similar, a similar thing. You're going to only be able to see it through the lenses you have on the day you read it. And, but, but as we acquire more, uh, acquire more and more knowledge and more and more experience and more and more views, it, it can have a deeper and deeper meaning. Every time we revisit the mm. well, it'll fulfill us in different ways. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's just, it's just the natural state of life, right? That things are, things are hidden from us. I think it's appropriate to look at it like that. And I, I think it's, it's really an interesting idea that we see in a lot of, um, 
you know, mystical writings and, and, and religious writings as well. I mean, it's written in, in the Bible, for example, that, you know, will these things not be revealed unto you? You know, like there, there's something hidden from you right now, but it will be revealed if you just stay on this path, you know, keep on, keep on searching, keep on looking. There's going to be some things that you're not seeing right now that will be revealed. And I think that's a similar idea to what Seneca is saying here. Like, you know, it's almost like, Hey, refine your moral hierarchy, you know, work on these things, try to, try to see what I'm seeing and things will be revealed. You know, there's, there's things that you might not be seeing in this letter, but they're there, you know, pay attention, you know, that just because you don't see them doesn't mean that they're not there. Um, awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I'll jump in and, and read number nine then, and, and then we can. Number nine. The final number thoughts. Nine. Sorry. Can't help it. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> Natural desires are limited, but those which spring from false opinion can have no stopping point. Brilliant. Uh, the false has no limits. When you are traveling on a road, there must be an end. But when astray, your wanderings are limitless. Very similar to what you were saying before as well about the, um, yeah, interesting. Uh, recall your steps, therefore, from idle things. And when you, sorry, and when, when you would know whether that which you seek is based upon a natural or upon a misleading desire, consider whether it can stop at any definite point. If you find, after having traveled far, that there is a more distant goal always in view, you may be sure that this condition is contrary to nature. Farewell. Here we go. There's, there's a lot to unpack there. As hey, well. we got through the whole thing. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. 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 Um, there is a lot there. Um, one of his other quotes from another letter, which maybe you've read already, he says, um, you may discover that what you thought was the highest rung of the ladder is just another step, basically something yeah. along those lines. Um, and that's kind of what he's saying here is if you're aiming for the wrong things, it's going to be like Tantalus uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, there's the grapes hanging over your head and you reach for them and they pull back a little bit. You can never get them. Oh, I finally got that promotion I wanted, but now I want the next thing. I want the bigger office. Oh, I finally, bought the car I want. Boy, I sure do wish I had the the next model up that goes a little faster. You know, Mm. these are wants that have no end unless, uh, unless you are, are, are pursuing them from the, for the right reasons. Like I just want to be able to get to work. Well, that has a stopping point. You get to work and you you Mm. put it in park and you go in, but, but the desire for that wealth or that uh, it could be any any field of life, really. Uh, if you if you can read into it here, you know that that endless road. If we're drifting, we're never going to get to that that destination. We're just going to keep drifting. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's such a such a it's such a dark perce- uh, perception of our reality, right? Like it it really is kind of. It, I, I actually think that what Seneca is saying there should horrify you right? because <laughs> there's billions and billions of ways to get it wrong. There's only a few ways to get it right. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this because there is a debate over whether morality is something that is subjective or whether there is actually a, a basis for a an inbuilt reality into the very system of the cosmos and the, the system of being. Um and I think that Seneca offers us here really a really interesting and and maybe a, a, a believable argument that this sort of stuff is just built into the system of your life, right? That there there is a wrong way and there is a right way because 
the Stoics often talk about virtue as like the straight path. You know, it's, 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 I liken it unto the way that it talks about in the Bible, which is the straight and narrow, right? And we know that we know that Stoicism influenced, you know, later Christianity and stuff like that. So it makes sense that they're, they're joined there in those ideas. But the idea is that virtue is the straight and narrow path. There's, there's, there's only a few ways to get it right. This is one way to get it right in each circumstance, right? But, but vice, he's saying, is just limitless, right? There's so many ways to get it wrong. And I think that's correct because, I, I mean, it's like we know, like if, 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 you, if you asked a father, hey, you're going to go, you, you know, you're going to go beat your kid today. Obviously, that's not subjective. Obviously, that's something that we can all reasonably say, definitely not. That's bad. That's evil. That's vice. You should not do that. And there's a billion of those things that he could do, right? Um, and we also know that, you know, there's there's definitely stuff that's the right thing to do, right? So that kind of almost, it, it almost breaks apart that argu- argument mm-hmm. that it's subjective because we know that it's not, you know, because you don't act like that. I don't know. What do you think? Well, let me just solve that for you, Simon. This may not, I may have fallen into a, a practical answer here rather than a metaphysical. Please, but, yeah, yeah. Um, think about our obituaries. Mm. Um, if you could, have you ever written your own? It's kind of an interesting I exercise. haven't done that yet. I know it's, um, yeah, yeah. But think about the two possibilities from Seneca's advice. The one where you traveled a road towards a goal what would that look like like he he did these things and they all point in a direction that boy that was a good person who was trying hard and oh wow he helped some people and did this did that or it could be the wandering uh like i feel i do sometimes like he was a pretty bad woodworker and he strummed guitar a little bit never went anywhere with it and then he kind of dabbled in this and he went over there and then and then it, it doesn't really the story just doesn't go anywhere right it's just he did some stuff um mm. <laughs> and yep. and whether you know and you can think of whether that's vice and virtue or whatever but it's a similar idea it's it's, if you're just farting around, you'll never end. But if you are saying, I trying to be a good person and I, I have some interests, I want to be, I want to, I'd like to do my part to make this community thrive. Mm. And you have, you have some missions and you have some goals and you can uh, move. I, I almost tried to make a sports analogy, but I, I, I would be really bad at that. I was going to say something about moving a ball down the field, but it would sound inauthentic because I don't watch sports very much. I'm a nerd. <laughs> anyway, um, but you know, you've made progress and it can show if you had a direction. Mm. Now, whether or not there's morality inherent in the fabric of the cosmos, uh, mm. I don't feel qualified to uh, to approach that, uh, except to say my favorite answer, which is, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's such a, that's a, I think that's a good place to, you know, leave all of this, which look at that. We build everybody up with, with all this interesting conversation and then we tear them back down again with the, I don't know. <laughs> back at ground level it. again. Welcome to yeah. the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, that, you know, brilliant. You know, this has been such an interesting conversation and, and yeah, what a great letter. I, I really appreciate that. That's the one that you chose. Cause 
um, I feel like it lended itself to having this kind of conversation and breaking it apart with you. So, yes, yeah, Steve, that I, thank you. Thank you for the suggestion. Thank you, Simon. It's been uh, been a pleasure to finally get to talk to you. Yeah, man, it, it's it's been awesome after all this time, hey. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Well, yeah. we'll have to do it again. Um, definitely. You know, if, if you find even as I get deeper into the letters, you know, if, if even once I get to like number 40 or something, maybe you pick the the next favorite one that you have after 40 or something like that. And we come back and have another chat because well, there's some yeah. there's some weird ones in there. We could we could get into whether or not virtue is corporeal or not. There's yes. some strange letters left there later. Yeah, I don't know if we'll, that'll get many listeners, but <laughs> well. <laughs> They always say create art for one person yourself, right? So that's, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. Awesome, Steve. Well, we'll do it again very soon. And um, and yeah, loving what you're doing over there on the Sunday Stoic. And, and, would, and would, you, every... would you do something for my listeners? Please. Yes. Yes. I, I end every show with Carpe Diem. But I think a Simon Drew Carpe Diem would be awesome. I'll, I'll do it. That's it, everybody. Carpe Diem. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. Remember that you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. There you'll gain access to many exclusive episodes that haven't been released yet, as well as over 200 episodes recorded before 2020. If you'd like to work one-on-one with me as you move towards your ideal, then you can go to simonjedrew.com forward slash coaching. But for now, I'll talk to you next time.